Sermon on the Mount. So the vicar decided we were going to look at the Sermon on the Mount as we came into the new normal time. And then when I was doing the rotor, I got to this passage and I thought, really, I should give this to myself. Normally, I'm going to confess, I give it to Kerry. Thanks, Kerry. You always do an awesome job. But I thought it was probably best I took this one myself this time, because this is really three very difficult subjects. And I don't know if you connect with all of them or with just some of them. But I think that Jesus is at some of his most challenging in this passage. And this morning's big idea, as we look at these three things, is this. That Jesus not only calls us to live a life that is different to those around us, but that he lived that life first and calls us to follow him. That Jesus not only called us to live a life different to those around us, but that he lived that life first and calls us to follow him. So the passage can be split into three main sections on the jovial subjects of committing adultery, divorce, and taking the Lord's name in vain. As I've said, difficult subjects. And as I want to pick up, actually, from where Fiona was last week, she pointed out to us that one of the things about Jesus' Sermon on the Mount was that he didn't just want the people who were listening to know God's law and to follow God's law. He said he had come to fulfill God's law and that also that he took it further. And that was true about anger that we looked at with Fiona last week, but it's also true about each of these sections. You've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. He quotes the Old Testament, but then he takes it further. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman or a man lustfully has already committed adultery with them in their heart. Deeply challenging words. Jesus doesn't necessarily mean here just noticing that someone looks pretty one day, but it's that long and lingering look, that second look, when you know that you shouldn't. Something that I'm sure is familiar to most of us, at least some of the time. Then with divorce, he again moves back to the Old Testament. It has been said that anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But then he takes it further. But I tell you that anyone who divorces their wife except for sexual immorality makes her a victim of adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. These are really challenging words in our times. But they were challenging, possibly even more so, to Jesus' listeners. It was fairly common for men to simply decide they didn't want to be married to a certain woman anymore and just write her a certificate and give it to her, leaving her unable to support herself, unable to, to live, to work, 
and as a social outcast. Jesus calls his disciples to go further. And then the third section where Jesus says, again, you have heard it said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the oaths that you have made. And Jesus is probably also here referring to the second commandment about taking the Lord's name in vain because he goes on to say, but I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the great city, it's the city of the great king. And do not swear by your heads, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Take it to the next level. Go beyond. And that in itself is really challenging to us. Because often when we're presented with challenging words like this, our response is, yes, but what can I get away with? In fact, when Jesus talks about the divorce passage in a different gospel, it's recorded there, the, the writer records that the response of the disciples is to say, who could do this? Who could possibly fulfill these words? I was a youth worker for many years and I don't know, I never actually gave that talk because I was never that type of youth worker. But I know that other people who grew up in church, if you didn't grow up in church like me, you might not have a clue what I'm talking about now. But believe me, it's an education, so hang on. Apparently, and I'm look, there are some knowing nods in the room already, youth leaders at times have given the talk about what you can touch and what you can't. Yeah? Apparently that's been done. We're interested in what we can get away with. And that's not the point here. Jesus isn't trying to give us rules so we know when we fall short or when we succeed. He's not going to give us the rules for the game so we know what we can get away with. I was much more the kind of youth leader who would play games and everyone, I'd tell them the rules and then they'd go, but can we do this? Or can we do this? And I'd be like, no, I've told you the rules. Don't mess with me. We love to know what we can get away with. Well, if we can't commit adultery and we shouldn't even look, how long is a lingering stare? Is two seconds all right? Or is three too much? When it comes to divorce, Jesus says in this passage that it's except for sexual immorality. But then we want to know, but what about other situations that Jesus didn't mention? Is it okay to be divorced then, or here, or this, or now? And finally, I think this is illustrated best by Jesus himself when he's talking about keeping oaths. He even preempts what his listeners are thinking. And he, sa he says to them, not by heaven, because it's God's throne. Well, could, could, 
Could, could we swear by the earth then? No, not by the earth, because it's God's footstool. Well, surely Jerusalem is fine. No, not by the city of our great king. Okay, well, what, me, surely I can swear on my own head. And Jesus says, no, because you cannot even make one hair white or black. Simply yet your yes be yes and your no be no. And I think what all of this tells us is that Jesus doesn't want to just give us rules to keep. Yes, he expects us to live lives that are different to those around us. He expects us to follow him. But he doesn't think that's going to happen simply by giving us a list of rules and wagging his finger and saying, you better do it. I thought of something I wasn't going to say then, so I'm going to, or, or I'll spank you, um, which wasn't quite what I was going to say in my head. So you got the sanitized version. I apologize for my potty mouth. Because I've said it before in the last four weeks, and I imagine I'm going to say it again and again and again until we're finished in the Sermon on the Mount. Our human response to these passages often falls into one of two categories. It's either pride. I never do that. Oh, and you won't catch me doing that. I'm all right on that one. Tick. Or it falls into condemnation. The fact that we know that we have fallen short and we feel condemned but that was not Jesus's intention because what Jesus wants us to have is not pride or condemnation he wants us to come to him in humility and he wants to give us a new heart because the heart that we've got is never going to achieve this on its own. The heart that you and I were born with is always going to go astray. It is always at times like this going to be presented with, presented with things like this and move to pride or condemnation. But what Jesus wants to give us is a new heart. He wants us to come to him and say, Lord, we can't do this. It's too hard. Because he already knows that it's too hard. The question is, are we going to admit that before him? Because when we do... We stop relying on ourselves. We stop relying on our own hearts. We stop relying on our own strength. And we turn to him. And you see, the thing about Jesus, is that he has already died so that we might be set free. 
in the passage at the beginning about adultery. I didn't carry on reading verses 29 and 30, but Jesus says, if you, your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away, for it is better for you to lose one part of your body than the whole of your body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body from your whole body to be, go to hell. Because the wages of sin is death. But the good news of Jesus is that he has already paid the price. If your right eye causes you to stumble, turn to Jesus because he already hung on a cross for you. If your right hand causes you to stumble, turn to Jesus because he already died for you so that you don't have to. Come to him and he will give you a new heart. We can say the same about the passages about divorce and oaths as well. If you're feeling condemnation now about this passage about divorce, if your relationship is in a difficult place and you don't know how or where or when it's going to get better, turn to Jesus. Because Jesus is the one who rose from the dead. Jesus is the one who was dead and buried and alone for three days when all hope was gone, where death had won its victory, seemingly. But Jesus rose again. There can be life after divorce because there was life after death for Jesus. There can be resurrection for our relationships because Jesus came back from the dead. And finally, as we think about promises and oaths, we read that all of God's promises are yes. In who? In me? In you? No. In Jesus. When we have failed, when we've let others down, he can restore us because all of God's promises are yes in him. There is nothing that you can have ever done that will make God love you any more or any less. There's no point this morning feeling pride and there is no need to feel condemnation. Let's turn together to Jesus.
because he not only calls us to live a life that's different to those around us, but he lived that life, died that death, rose from the dead, called us to follow him so that all God's promises to us can be yes in him. Amen.